0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we're joined by Yellow Box teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we continue our series, Profiles in Courage. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Father, it is good Uh, to be with each other this morning, and we are grateful, God, that you know us and love us, that you are present in our midst, regardless of the kind of day, week, or month we are having. You are here, you are moving, and you are powerful. So I pray that you would give us, God, hearts to grasp fully what it is that you have for us this morning, that you would clear our minds of distraction, or anger, or angst, or apathy, and that you would speak to us, God. Give us courage, To stand for what is right. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You ever heard a quote that just so rocks you to the core? Like you read something online or you see it in a movie. Not like a Yogi Berra, like a 90% of baseball is half mental. Not... Not something like that. Does anyone have like quotes that you keep in a journal or perhaps you post something on your wall or it's something that you keep in a book somewhere? Here are a couple of my favorites. Uh, Helen Keller once said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. A daring adventure or nothing at all. Here's a woman that faced more than her fair share of obstacles but saw life as this daring adventure. Every time I read that, I'm reminded Again, of that beautiful truth. How about this one? It's by John A. Shedd. A ship in the harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. A ship in the harbor is safe, sure, that's fine, but that's not what ships are built for. And that always reminds me of those seasons that I want to remain safe and secluded. It reminds me that God has called us to something far greater than ourselves. How about this one? Every man dies, not everyone lives. Y'all know who said that one? That's right, it's Mel Gibson, well done. Okay, only sort of. It's Mel Gibson via Braveheart, the movie Braveheart, William Wallace. You remember that movie? Can you see his face and not just imagine him yelling, freedom? I apologize for that accent. That was (laughs) terrible. Sometimes I read quotes like that and I'm... Remind that I'm strengthened, I'm empowered, and maybe you have your own set of quotes that do the same thing for you. And today, uh, I want to read a different type of quote, something that I hope will rock you to your core. And we're in the middle of this series called Profiles and Courage, where we're digging through these Old Testament stories of men and women who stood in the face of great obstacles and challenges and were courageous and faithful. So today, we're going to the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to learn about three guys with weird names. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's all say that together, Shadrach. That was average. Well done. That was okey-doke. For our purposes, why don't we just call them Rack, Shack, and Benny? How does that sound? Any? that'll be our VeggieTales throwback for the day. Now, these cool cats worked for uh, the king of an empire called Babylon, and Babylon uh, was a unique place and this king uh, was a bit of an egomaniac and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Let's all say Nebuchadnezzar together. tight, Well done everybody. Now the story begins in chapter 3 as King Nebi builds this enormous statue, this idol of gold uh, for everyone to bow to. This puppy was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. That's almost as tall as Steve Cooney back there in the booth. Um, He is one tall glass of water. So after the king set up this idol, uh, he issues this decree here in verse 4. It says, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do, not a suggestion. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music... You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So here's what the king is doing. He's asserting his power. He's asserting his authority. It's likely that this god, this idol, was one of his gods. So in essence, he's saying, uh, all of you, when you hear the music, bow to me and everything I stand for when I said this guy was a narcissist I wasn't kidding I mean he makes Putin look like a teletubby he is so full of his own glory and authority and power and commands his entire kingdom to bow not only does he command that everyone bow to this statue but look at what he says here in verse 6 Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Yikes. Like, he is not messing around here. He doesn't leave much of the imagination. He says, here's what you're commanded to do. And if you don't, there's not a couple of options. You will be chucked into the blazing furnace. Furnace, and so when King Nebi finds out that there are three men who refuse to bow, this story really heats up a bit. <laughs> In the front row, thank you very much. <clears throat> so these three, uh, Rack Jack and Benny, they refuse to bow down because they state they will only bow to the one true God. And so the king flips his royal lid, he calls in Rakshak and Benny, and he lays it down. And he says, okay, gents, here's the skinny. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar apparently talked like an Italian mobster, I guess. (laughs) Here's the skinny. When you hear that music, bow down, bend the knee, do this, and we're good. We're fine. This is a summary, obviously. Do that and we'll be okay. If you don't, however, do you see where Carl is roasting the marshmallows right now? That's where you're destined to go. We know that you're really into this God of yours, but can any God really save you from a burning furnace? Now, it's probably hard to really put ourselves in this story fully, right? Like... Is there anything more painful than getting burned up besides being a Lions fan? <laughs> I had a number of stories to draw from, but one that I remember is the very first missions trip I ever led was an internship I was doing in Lombard and they pulled me aside and they said, would you like to lead the trip to Jamaica? And I said, well, where do I sign? Suffering for the Lord, yeah. And so on the last day of this missions trip, we actually were at a resort in Montego Bay. What a brilliant way to end a missions trip so the kids had no use for me, so they all went running in all sorts of opposite directions. So what I did was pulled out one of those lounge chairs into the water to take a quick nap. Some of you were there already. I awoke three and a half hours later looking a bit more like a lobster than I had before. And if you remember the end of trips, that's where everyone wants to give hugs goodbye. So for the next 24 hours... I had junior hires leaping into my burnt body to wish me farewell. And that was really, really painful. That's a painful, tough memory, but as painful as that was, that was nothing compared to King Nebby's furnace. And I I don't want you to picture just like the furnace like in your basement, or even like that really scary one from Home Alone. You guys remember the scary furnace from Home Alone? That monster furnace? It's way, way worse than that. This, this was an instrument of torture and execution. Not, not only was it designed to burn you alive, but it was arguably the most inhumane way to kill a person at this time. Because what do you typically throw into a furnace? It's wood, right? Just wood that is there just to be burnt up. So to take a human body and to treat it just like a piece of wood, it would be so burnt up that there would be no body to bury or to mourn over, which in this culture was a huge deal. So this is not just some basement furnace. This type of execution was reserved for the worst of the worst. And here's what I don't want you to miss. All they had to do was bend a knee. That's that's it. I mean, these guys had good jobs. They had good reputations. They had sweet names, right? (laughs) All they had to do was bend the knee. And, And I wonder if maybe there was a moment where they huddled together, because if I was in that huddle, I might be inclined to say something like this, like, hey, guys, 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 guys why don't we just bend the knee and we'll like cross our fingers behind our back or something? We'll just walk away and under our breath we'll be like, psych, right? We're <laughs> better at maybe we Maybe we actually worship but then we just ask God for forgiveness after. He's a God of love and mercy, no harm, no foul, right? But that's not even close to what they say. So just as we started with some quotes, here's one that I hope really sinks in here. This is verse Sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That one has not stank on it. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And this is what I want you to really hang your hat on today. But even if he does not, We want you to know, can you feel the tension in the room? We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is powerful. Look him dead in the eye and say, we're not going to bow because our God is able to deliver us and even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. Okay, so real talk, how many of us does that strike a bit of a chord this morning? Maybe you're in a place that you're saying, perhaps just internally, God, I'll worship you, but only as long as you do for me what I think is owed to me. I'll follow you, but only as long as you carry out your part of the deal. That's not what they say. This is faith. This is courage in the face of great... Obstacles. Well, the king doesn't love that response, surprisingly. So he does a couple of things. He has them bound. He commands them to turn the heat up even more, has them carried off and thrown in. Now, again, I want to pause. I want you to remember the real humanity in this story. These are real men, not just some mythical story. But as they, you know, have you ever like sat a little too close to the bonfire? And you're like, ooh, that's a bit warm. And you kind of scoot back a little bit. Imagine that times a thousand, right? They're walking towards it and the heat is beginning to intensify and they can feel it on the face. In fact, the fire was so intense that the guards that threw them in were burnt up themselves. This is a big, scary, frightening moment. So imagine you're these men and they're chucked in and they clench their fists and they close their eyes and they wait for the searing pain to set in and it doesn't happen it's weird right they don't burn they're in the fire but they're not burnt up they're walking around freely and here's the craziest part in verse 24 uh next slide we can go Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So not only are they not burnt up, they're throwing a party in there, right? Like you can hear the dance music coming from the furnace, and there's more people than when they started. I imagine the king like jumping off, like rubbing his glasses. Like, am I seeing this correctly? Was there something in last night's tacos? Am I hallucinating? What is happening here? Now, this is an ancient story, but this is also a modern one. If we're serious about being Christ followers, we will at some point be tempted to bow down. Probably not to a 90 foot statue but to something or someone. This is called idolatry. And I don't want you to think of, when you think of idol, it's just simply some sort of massive statue. An idol is simply this. Anything that is your source of life or identity. Anything that is your source of life or identity. It asks the question, who are you? Where is your significance, joy, or hope? And here's what I don't want you to miss. Idols are often good things that become God things. We tend to think of like idolatry as like, oh, it's like some terrible addiction or some sort of infidelity or something that most everyone in the room would say, yeah, that's not a good idea. So often the good things in our lives take the place of God and they become God things. Your spouse is a wonderful person, but they make a crummy God. Your children are adorable. I've seen them. They're wonderful. They're great kids. They make terrible gods. When we put the expectation and weight of God on anything other than God, it will eventually crumble beneath the weight. And that is essentially what idolatry is. All of our hearts are longing for meaning, life, and identity. It's just like Springsteen says, right? Everyone's got a hungry heart. So it may be... A number of things this morning. Maybe at work, you're being asked to do certain things or to keep certain kinds of hours that keep you from living by God's priorities for your life. That idol is called success. And maybe the furnace is getting looked over or even fired. To you students in the room, maybe for you, the idols are acceptance, their popularity, its reputation. Maybe your furnace is being excluded, being left out. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and the person you're with is wanting you to do or not do certain things and you feel the pressure to bow down to the idol of romance. And if you don't, the furnace might be rejection and loneliness. Sooner or later, we all face the pressure to bend the knee. But the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. It's idolatry. Here's what I mean by that. The gospel essentially says this, that we're saved by grace. But idolatry says you're saved by something else. It says that bowing to this, doing that thing, bending the knee here, this will bring me life. This will bring me hope. This will bring me fulfillment. And an idol never delivers what it says that it will deliver. Now, the the goal is not to make idol hunting your idol. Here's what we sometimes do is that we then walk away and say like, I gotta find all my idols and then crush them. The goal isn't just simply hunting down your idols. The goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because so often we just sort of leave with behavior management and what we need is a savior to redeem us. So this story, I think, tells us a lot of things about when we choose not to bow, when we're faced with great obstacles. I'm gonna kind of just pull out three that I hope are meaningful to you this morning. Number one, um, God will meet us In the furnace. God will meet us in the furnace. Okay, so personally, um, if I had my way, I would have rather God met me before the furnace. Anyone with me? Like maybe three minutes earlier, God? Like that would have been awesome. But here's the humbling reality in our lives, how often does God not protect us from circumstances, but meets us in circumstances? Friends, God is not always protection from the fire. He's protection in the fire. Whatever that thing is that you're walking through that's weighing on you, that is keeping you up at night, God wants to meet us in those circumstances. And I don't know what kind of pressure that is that you're facing this morning. I don't know what's gonna come your way, but I do know that God wants to meet you in those places. There's a second lesson I think we can take from this story. After the king sees God deliver these three men, look at what happens in verse 26 here. It says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted. Picture that. He's close to this furnace that just burned up some, some soldiers. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of what? The most high God. Come out. Come here. So they come out. Not a, not a hair is singed. I mean, their clothing... Is untouched. And the same king that minutes earlier was willing to execute anyone who didn't bow down to his statue is now worshiping the one true God. How incredible is that? That's the second thing that we draw from this story that God will reach others through the furnace. God literally uses this furnace to change the king's heart. And here's what that means for us this morning. Whatever that furnace is for you, whatever difficulty or pain or tragedy or struggle that you're walking through, God wants to reach others through your life. Sometimes the most painful part of our story is the most life-giving part of someone else's story. How many of you know that to be true? Someone else's story served as life to you when you needed it. The first person that comes to mind for me is... Katie's mom, my now mother-in-law. That sounds fun. And almost a decade and a half ago, uh, she lost her son. And I, I can't even imagine the heartache of losing a child. And the story is much longer than this, but as a result of his death, Marion decided to reach out to a local homeless community on Tim's birthday brought a cake, and that has now grown into a ministry that cares for hundreds and hundreds of homeless men and women throughout Chicagoland called Timothy's Ministry. Hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know the God that we serve and worship through Marion's tragedy. Your furnace, your fire may be God's grace to reach others and to change their hearts through it. The last lesson I think we can see in the story is this. That God will bless you through the furnace. After coming out of the furnace, look at what happened here in verse 30. Uh, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The king gives them new position, new influence, new opportunities to serve. Now a quick aside. I wish I could tell you like the specific ways that God will bless you. The specific ways that he'll breathe life into you, and I can't. In fact, anyone who tells you that God has promised to give you a a bigger paycheck or a promotion at work or he's just going to rain down Escalades and 401Ks um, is not telling you the truth. God is not a genie. God never promises that if we follow him to the furnace, he'll give us any of those things, but here's what he does promise us. He will be with us. Do you know what the most common command in all of scripture is? It's two words, fear not, fear not. It's the most common command in all of scripture and almost every single time it's followed by these words, for I am with you. So we don't know what that would look like and it's very popular to talk about the things that God will rain upon you and that if he's not doing that, that you're somehow in error and I don't think we need to look any further than Jesus To know that that's true because Jesus was born, what, to a a wealthy family or a poor family? Yeah, a poor family. He he lived his first 30 years in relative obscurity, never traveled more than 200 miles from his home, never published a book or ran a company. In fact, um, when the time came when he was being arrested, did his friends stick by his side or did they abandon him? Some even claim they never knew him. He was eventually crucified, executed, which I would say is horrific, painful agony. But in his wake is the largest legacy in the history of the world. More songs have been sung, more books written about Jesus than any other person. God doesn't promise specifics, but he does promise to bless our faithfulness. Listen to what the author James says here. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I would venture to guess that for Rackshack and Benny, when they look back on this story, they probably have asked themselves, what if we had bent a knee? What if we had just bowed? We would have missed out on the greatest adventure of our lives. The blessing for them... I don't think it was the promotion. I don't think it was prestige. I think it was God meeting them in a new and powerful way. Standing up for right, it isn't always easy, but nothing great ever is. Nothing great ever is. If they had given in to fear, they would have missed out. I think think this story is significant for us today. I think there's a great danger when our primary goal in life becomes furnace avoidance. This is something that was true of me for most of my young adult life. It's easy to think that God's main job is to keep me out of the fire. I mean, listen to most of the things that we pray for, right? Help me avoid this pain. Please remove this discomfort. Please take this suffering away. We pray things like a hedge of protection, as if Satan's only weakness was shrubbery, right? Like that's... There's nothing wrong with praying prayers like that, but we can slowly believe that what's most important for our lives is for us to be comfortable. Friends, God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. He's more concerned with who you're becoming than whether or not the ride is smooth. So I want to invite you to do something dangerous today. I want to invite you to to pray a dangerous prayer, and I'm actually going to put it on the screen here for all of us to read. That's that next slide. God give me an opportunity to grow in my love for you. Any time that you pray for an opportunity to grow, you're opening yourself up to some difficulty. I no longer ask, I no longer ask you mainly for comfort or success or security. God, I ask you to lead me wherever you want so that I grow closer to you and so others' lives are changed. Even if it means falling you into the fire because I know that you will meet me there. Now, I know a lot of you maybe are unsure about this whole prayer thing, and that is totally fine. I would be really honest with God in this moment about that. Say, God, I don't know that I want to pray that prayer yet. God's not afraid of your honesty. Tell him that you're not there. But pray that he would bring himself, that you would experience him in a new and powerful way. Jesus never said... God has a wonderful plan for your life, and it's a great house, a great spouse, two and a half kids, a terrific job, and a nice car. What he did say was this, follow me. Bow to nothing and no one except me. It's going to be a tremendous journey, and there will be plenty of trouble along the way. But life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. A ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. But not everybody lives. May we be a people who say, God, lead us even if to the fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our courage, our strength, our fortitude is not built on ourselves, on a career, an ideology, a philosophy, God. Um, That our strength and courage and identity and vitality is found only in you, remind us afresh of what that means this morning, regardless of whatever obstacles anyone in this room is facing. Wherever we may need, courage, God, give us strength and remind us, God, of who ultimately sits on the throne, who ultimately calls us to himself and says, follow me. God, thank you that you are a God that calls us to fear not because you are with us. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things the powerful name of Jesus amen